to be with his people. There's no pressing announcements other than I won't be here most this week, and neither will Bob. Please pray for us as we drive up to uh, Winter, South Dakota, which is about a nine-hour drive, and uh, also for the other presbyters who are traveling out there as well. We have about, I think it's 15 churches, and so most of them will be traveling from Colorado and other parts of Dakotas, Wyoming, and Utah. They also have a long drive. <clears throat> the other announcement is we have the Lord's Supper this week, uh, next coming Sunday as well. We have a call to worship. Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. It's by our hearts and heads a silent preparation for worship. Let us stand and sing Psalm 62a, 62a.
hear God this morning. the responsive reading of Psalm 41. Psalm 41, blessed is he who considers the poor, the Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. He will sustain him on his sickbed. My enemies speak evil of me. When, when will he die and his name perish? All who hate me whisper together against me, and against me they devise my hurt. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, he lifted up his heel against me. By this I know that you are well pleased with me, because my enemy does not triumph over me. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. In this psalm, obviously, is about the difficulties and trials and tribulations in his life of his enemies who lie about him, wishing his death. And although we don't have a lot of those, I suspect, at least personally, uh, among us, it is still a comforting psalm when we do have difficulties in our life, when we do have uh, problems that rise up against us that are not of our own making. And like David, we should cry out before him, read this psalm, uh, quote it, put it in your Bible somewhere, dog ear it, that God is indeed with us, uh, no matter what happens, and 
Even if it doesn't go our way, we should end our life and all that we have with verse 13. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Let us pray. We do bless you, God above. We stand in awe of who you are, what you continue to do for us, Lord, as much as we feel inadequate, as much as we see our own sins, as much as it seems hopeless sometimes in our lives, God. We know that you have not given up on us as you promised in your word, Lord. Indeed, you have blessed us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus with many blessings in our life. For that, we praise you, God. We stand here. We submit our hearts to you. We praise you, God. We are reminded again and again how wonderful and glorious you are. Even, Lord, as we are reminded and remind ourselves of our own sins, of our selfishness perhaps, our indifference to your word and to each other, whatever the violation of your law is, God, in our lives and our thoughts and our words and our deeds, we confess them, God, and we know that you are faithful and just to forgive us all unrighteousness as you have promised. And so, Lord, may we have that comfort of the gospel, and may we carry on with boldness throughout this week, God, with the promise given to us that we can... Lord, carry on in our sanctification a little each day, we pray. We ask, God, that you would be with us, especially with our health issues, as we think of those who are healing from surgeries, as those who have upcoming um, therapy for their back and the like, and other ailments, Lord, the chronic sicknesses that we have, that we deal with, a cross that we bear in our lives, God, that we would persevere nevertheless and continue to pray and help one another as we can and share in one another's difficulties, God, and rejoice in one another's glory. We pray in particular and ask God for Joshua Stansbury. Looks like it's the end of life for him that is this life, and he will be going on to a better life. Comfort the family. Be with them. Help them fight against any bitterness. May this difficult and deep valley in their lives be used, Lord, for their growth we think especially of the children, that they would see the faith of their parents and each other, God, and the church praying for them, Lord. And they would grow thereby and be an example to others. Help them and ease Joshua's pain, God, and bring them home quickly, we pray. We ask God for our family situations, for those who are friends, dear to us, for those who are not Christians, Lord. Cousins, Brothers and sisters, parents, daughters, sons, whoever they may be, Lord, long-standing friends, that you would move their hearts, that we would continue to pray for them and speak to them as we are able to, God. It could be hard, Lord, for those who are close to us, as we know, often close their ears and don't want to talk at all. And so, God, we are shut up, but we never shut up ultimately because we can pray and should pray with the psalmist, Lord, to you. May circumstances in our life, God, through your spirit, through providence, move such that uh, they are shaken and torn asunder in their self-confidence, and they will rely upon you. We ask, God, that you would be with our families, that we would grow in love and our duties to one another, in reliance ultimately upon you, and that we would be strengthened, God, and be an example to the world around us, we pray in spite of our sins. We lift up our stewardship, that is what you've called us to take care of, which is everything that we have, which is yours, that is lent to us, that we are borrowing, as it were, God. You tell us to use a right for your glory and for one another. 
May we use it, Lord. May we use our time and talents, God. May we use our monies and our resources for our responsibilities before you, God, to love our neighbors, which is those especially close to us, our family, our friends, our community, our church, God, and to do what we can to help them, to guide them, even to discipline sometimes, and Lord, depending on our responsibilities in those contexts. So, God, may we have a faithful stewardship before you by your spirits. May we persevere therein and think in those terms, God, of what you've given us, and to steward our body as well, Lord. Help us, we pray, in these matters and endeavors in this day and age, which is very selfish and which is to use everything for themselves, and to buy up this and that and everything and not give to their family, not give to their children or children's children, leave them no inheritance, but to consume it, God. May we not be like that. May we warn people against such an approach, God, but to live sacrificially for one another, we pray. We ask, God, that you would be with our presbytery and our meetings this week. That they would go in accordance to your word, that we would fulfill our duty as a presbytery and all the things that you've given us in that responsibility, and that we would maintain proper unity in accordance to your word, that you would be with the committees, God, that they would continue, Lord, the uh, chairs therein and those who work on those committees to do their duty in good conscience before you, God, in accordance to the facts and the truth of the matter before them, and to do it heartily as unto you. Give them the insight they need and the perseverance, Lord, and the resources so that we can do what we need to do through those committees as a collective body of the presbytery, those who deal with diaconate concerns, God, those who deal with uh, missions, and those who deal with examinations of ministers, Lord, and oversight of the churches. We pray for all those committees, that they would be efficacious in their duties to help the body of Christ across uh, these various states, Lord, in our presbytery, our regional church, we pray. We ask, God, that you would be with them in their travels, Lord, for those who are driving, especially many of them are, and those who are flying, God, that you protect and watch over them. Keep them alert, Lord, and give them the energy they need to persevere, God, and give us good rest, we pray, uh, in a foreign place in our various sundry hotels, Lord, which can be very hard upon us at times. And so we ask and pray, Lord, uh, that this presbytery prove fruitful and prove useful and edifying to the body of Christ. We ask and pray, God, to be with us this day, and to guide the preaching of your word, and to keep us alert, Lord, and may our hearts be moved towards you for more love and a crying out of more faith and mercy. We ask these things, Lord, for your kingdom's sake we pray. Amen. We now the tithes and offerings. God from whom all blessings flow, 
Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. We are thankful, God, for the many blessings that we have in spite of a shaky economy. And we ask, God, that the giving of these tithes and offerings would be honorable to you, an expression of our love for you, God. Bless and magnify these things, Lord, for the kingdom's sake and for the work of providence, we pray. Amen. While we are standing, let us go ahead and sing hymn Ten Commandments.
which is a green insert. Now, you all know that. Let us read the Ten Commandments together. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Hear also the words of our Lord Jesus, how he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Let us turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Verses 8 through 9. Let us listen attentively to the word of God. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Let us pray. Hear God, we read in a striking fashion the call by the Holy Spirit through the pen of Peter to stand firm and be vigilant against the works of our adversary, the devil. May you, Lord, continue to preserve us therein. May we have in that preservation, preserve, preservation by your Spirit, God. May we have the motivation, may we have the zeal to resist the devil and his works, we pray. And may the sermon help to that end. In your glorious name we pray, amen. Now at the beginning, or excuse me, at the end of the letter here, Peter addressed to the dispersed churches, that's his audience recall, of the Mediterranean church, 
the apostle offers some general admonitions here. Nevertheless, we see in verse 9 in particular that it's tied to the main theme of 1 Peter, which is persecution, suffering, and tribulations in life. He says, you have the same sufferings as those experienced by your brotherhood in the world. You're not alone. And so when he talks about this call of being sober and vigilant, it is tied again into the difficulties of tribulations and trials that we see. In light of that persecution, Peter urges them to stand firm. They are called to be alert and to resist the works of the devil and the temptations and other ways by which the devil tries to trip us up and indeed devour us. And we look more closely, we shall see and be encouraged, I pray, with these admonitions here, these encouragements, more or less. Uh, I'm not preaching it because I think none of you are being vigilant per se, but it's a reminder to persevere and not give up in your vigilance, in your alertness against the world, the flesh, and the devil. So the first point here is be alert. Be alert about the devil in particular. And to be sober as we read here, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. He's there to take out whom he can. The idea here of sober is the opposite of intoxication, just like our English word there is, with the idea of not stop drinking. Don't believe, I don't think any commentary thinks that he thinks his audience has a lot of drinking problems. But rather it's using it as a metaphor for being clear-headed and self-controlled. Be awake. Be alert. If drunkenness leads to blurry thought, and indeed it does, to uncontrollable passions, then soberness in the Christian life is the opposite of that. We are called to such a living here. and other verses, as we will see, it's often paired with other words, or another word here. We see that in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Parallel ideas there. In 1 Peter 4, 7, in the prior chapter here, the same book, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Be sober and watchful in your prayers. Be serious and alert. Soberness is obviously a necessary condition to watchfulness, overlapping ideas. A watchman can stare out over the walls, but if he's tired or drunk, it means nothing. He has to be alert. That's the idea here. We read also in 1 Peter 1.13, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully in the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. To be sober-minded is to put aside, here in this idea and elsewhere, distractions as well from your mind. He speaks of the mind. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. Saying the same thing two different ways. Showing us that the idea of soberness in Peter's mind deals first and foremost, but not exclusively, with the mind. To wake it up so that you can see what you need to see in front of you right here and right now, to take care of what you need to right here and right now in accordance with God's word. Specifically, of course, here, to be alert, to be serious, to gird up the loins of your mind, to prepare yourself, because the devil's out there. trying to eat you alive. Now, on the flip side, of course, when he calls his audience, when he calls us to be sober, we have an idea. We know what soberness is, what alertness is, what watchfulness is, what seriousness entails. 
On the flip side, we know also what undermines soberness, what things we should avoid in life that would undermine this call of ours, this moral call of ours to be alert. Entertainment-oriented worship undermines that, of course. Joking pastors, omitting relevant truths for today. That's just in the church. Your own life, there's various and sundry ways that would undermine soberness. You should take the means, cause, and occasions to avoid those things so that you can fulfill this call to be sober, to be sober-minded, to be serious in life as a Christian against the sins that so easily beset you. That's the idea here where he gives him this simple call here to be sober. Well, soberness isn't the only idea here. He emphasizes this point with another word, to be vigilant, that is to be watchful, alert, with an obvious connection to soberness, to be awake and aware of Satan and his tactics, that he's out there, that his minions are out there, that... This world of sin is trying to undermine you and destroy you and bring you down. And one of the tools we have is a basic tool of being sober and vigilant. Not just serious, but alert and paying attention in particular. Right? How, in particular, should we be vigilant and sober? Well, law and gospel. When in doubt, just remember law and gospel. Know God's law, Hebrews 8.10, for this is the covenant that I will make with, uh, make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's the promise of the Old Testament given to them and to us as well as today. The love of God is already in our hearts. The law of God is there, although it gets washed away at times, uh, muddied because of sin and indwelling corruption that still remains within us. And, of course, the distractions of this world as well. And so he's given us his word to reinforce this prophecy right here and now, that the law of God is upon our heart, that we desire to obey him, to know his word. Satan hates God's law. When he wishes to devour you, one of the things he will do is try to take that sword of the Spirit away from you. That you will put it down, to put his law down, to ignore his gospel, both are there in the sword of the Spirit. And so we must, in the opposite, of course, maintain and hold on to God's word, to God's law in particular, to know right from wrong, to reinforce what we know right from wrong, so that the excuses of our own flesh, the excuses of our neighbor, the excuses of the world around us, do not undermine that basic conviction that's prophesied there in Hebrews. It is important for the church of God and for us, and I know our church teaches it, and many of you have learned these things, to keep learning it. It's always important to go back over the basics, isn't it? One of the basics is the law of God, the Ten Commandments, the holiness therein, and how we are called to apply that law in our lives so that we can, therefore, be sober and vigilant. A Christian without the law of God is not a Christian who is sober and vigilant. He is unarmed and cannot protect himself from the devil. The pressure is very strong in society to ignore God's law, to follow man's law, that is, laws that replace the right and wrong of the Bible, to use the right and wrong of society, make excuses for breaking up marriages, make excuses for undermining marriages before one is married, for example, to 
steal and lie and cheat and other things in other ways, and different forms of these things, to encapsulate them in, in the law of the land. It's certainly there in the law of society, even if it's not written down in law in the halls of Congress. It is there through advertisement, is there through Hollywood, what they expect you to believe and to accept and how to live as a human. We say no to that. That's how you are sober, and that's how you are vigilant, to be alert and say no. What am I putting in through my eye gates? What am I putting in through my ear gates? This is the call of sanctification, the call of being vigilant, of paying attention and not giving in to the lies of the world. And that is the law of God. We need the law of God. It is the path of righteousness. It is a path of protection. We're going through Proverbs in the afternoon. It's the law of God. It's the law of wisdom. It's knowledge and truth. It's the path of protection that gives us life by God's Spirit. And as we'll see this afternoon, it protects us from a miserable life. The world that hates God's law lives a miserable life. They hide those facts. They put on a smiling face. But Satan has devoured them. They are his. And they want you to fall into their trap. This is especially needful for the youth and young among us as we have... um, an interesting time ahead of the church in this day and age, in our generation, where more and more people are raised up in broken homes. More and more people are raised up in homes that have never gone to church, have no connection to the church. And so they have a lot of ways the world thinks in their way of living. They come to the church, they're humble, and they have been brought down by the Spirit of God, and they confess Christ, and they join the church. They need to be instructed. You need to instruct them. You need to show them by example. You need to be uh, kind and considerate with them so they can learn these things, a lot of things that you have been instructed, but they have not. They don't know what it means to be vigilant because they have no upbringing that way. And so God brought them to the church, and the church is here to instruct them, not just me, but you as well. We're all in this together, are we not? This call here uh, to be sober and vigilant is not Peter saying, well, each of you individually, you're on your own, do what you can, but rather the understanding, because it is written to a group of Christians and churches that all of us are in it together. So this call of alertness, of seriousness in the Christian life is a call of all of us, not just for ourselves, but to help one another by our examples and by our words. Not just the law, but also the gospel, of course. To rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, we read in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. You're supposed to gird up your, the loins of your mind with this truth of the full hope of the grace of the gospel, of the promise of Christ returning, of the new heaven and new earth, that we are not discouraged is another way by which Satan wishes to devour us. We are not vigilant if we forget the gospel and the good news that, yes, we sin, but in spite of that sin, we have the free grace of Jesus Christ covering our sins and the promise that he shall return and we will have all our sins utterly wiped away, although they are covered now by his righteousness. To read the Gospels, to understand the truth of what Christ has done and continues to do for you, what the role of the Spirit is, what Christ did in his life and his death, what the effects of the resurrection are for us, We are a new creation brought up from the grave of this world to the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Because we are baptized into him and brought up into newness of life, as Romans 6 tells us, that we can take our members and use them for righteousness instead of wickedness. As we are doing this this day, 
the good news of the gospel is not just justification, also sanctification, that he is indeed working in you his will, both to do his will and his good pleasure. That's why you're here, I presume. Because you want to grow, and you want to learn, you want to be alert and be equipped to be a serious and sober against the devil. The importance of the gospel, of the centrality of the Trinity in the gospel, where the Father has arranged from eternity past, where the Son has applied, accomplished that work in time and space, where the Holy Spirit applies it here and now. The gospel is God-centric, not man-centric. Justification, adoption, sanctification, glorification. What we have there in the Shorter Catechism is a good summary of those doctrines for us to equip ourselves so that the doubt of this world and the doubt of Satan and the doubt of sin in our hearts does not tear us down. But we know that we are justified, and we who are justified are adopted. If we are adopted, we are sanctified and ultimately glorified. To summarize Romans 8.28. To learn... Of the doctrines of trials and persecution. Now, yes, we are born again. Yes, we are delivered and saved and sanctified. And yet God, through his providence, gives us difficulties and persecutions, as we read here in 1 Peter, so that we can grow thereby. It's part of what it means to live in the gospel age. And that God is in control. These are wonderful truths of the Bible, of theology, of the gospel, that help us to stay alert, that equip us against the devil and the doubts of this world. Meditate upon these truths, brothers and sisters. The law and the gospel is but the chief ways by which we can be sober and vigilant against our adversary. And we are not just individually and collectively, but the churches in particular, the leadership is called to help you to be sober and vigilant, to prepare you, to warn you as watchmen on the tower, because you can't see and know everything. You've got a busy life. God knows that. So he gave you church officers to help you in this regard. Churches ought to be an, an important way of keeping you alert and vigilant and aware and serious-minded about this life, this Christian life. And he gives a reason why we ought to do this, and we talked about it a few times, and let me dig into it. Because of the devil, because of the devil. Your adversary, the accuser of the brethren, that word there, the one who lies about you and shoves your sins in your face, you must be Vigilant against him, against his lies in particular, because he is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. He does not know when the end will come, and so he does not waste time in trying to take as many with him to hell. That's his goal. Uh, The imagery here of a roaring lion is obviously the imagery of an eager lion eager to kill you and to devour you. He is roaring as one who announces his intentions. It's not hidden. Although he tries to come to you as an angel of light to deceive us, we know his word is clear and our consciences tell us there's nothing here. He wants to kill us. He is one of those, we read, we read as we sang in the Psalm 62, who speaks nice things to us, but his heart is full of evil towards us. That's the world, the flesh, and the devil. Do not believe and trust them, brothers and sisters. Be alert against them. Be vigilant against their devices, as we'll talk about in a little bit. And his lies in particular. Although he has power, 
we're reminded that he has limited power. He walks about. He cannot fly about. He cannot teleport, as it were, in this metaphor. Because he is limited. And God has bound him in many ways. And yet he walks about, again, a picture here of an active enemy seeking out whom he may devour, what churches he can tear down, what heresies he can sow out there in the churches. And so we are called to be alert and awake against him, against his pacing and where he is, and listen to his roar, to keep an eye out for the pattern of his movement as he seeks to take us down as persons, as families, and as churches. Now, the devices of the devil are legion. Of course, one of the best ways to avoid them is to simply do the opposite, to follow God's law. They talk about often in the illustrations for pastors that you talk about, how do you know what a real $1 bill is? You, you know the $1 bill so well that you can recognize it before you see a, a fake one. There's a lot of truth to that morally. Know God's law and follow it. But, in particular here, he says to resist him. The parallel ideas, be sober, be vigilant because of the devil, therefore resist him because of the devil, resist the devil. What does this look like? The reason for resistance, so I'll jump to the end of verse 9 here. The reason he urges them to resist him, and by application to be sober and vigilant, those are ways by which you can resist the devil as well, obviously. Because your fellow believers are also resisting. They're also under tribulation and suffering for doing good. They are persecuted for following Christ and obeying his law and trusting in his gospel. It's the same suffering. It's interesting, right? Knowing that the same suffering are experienced by your fellow believers across the known world at the time. The world of the Mediterranean, essentially. And so what they have there is similar to their fellow believers. We are not alone, is what he's saying, in our fight against sin and temptation. The temptation to not follow Jesus because you're being persecuted for following Jesus. The temptation of not obeying his law because your boss and employer or your family member, your parents, punish you for doing the right thing. We read that in the prior chapters. That's the specific context. He's saying they go through that as well. The temptation, of course, of the devil is he wants to undermine that and say, why are you doing the good thing and getting punished anyways? why, Why follow Jesus? You can see, I think, that obvious connection that the temptation would be there. And the Spirit, through Peter, says, because you are called to, you are born again, you have the Spirit, you have the promise that you can overcome, that you can be vigilant and persevere through the sufferings and not look for a shortcut through sin away from the sufferings. Being steadfast, he's describing, I believe, the state of their faith in resisting the devil Part of that resistance is through being steadfast in the faith. The word there for faith is the content of truth, the gospel in particular, not the subjective personal faith that you have in Jesus, although that's obviously implied. He's saying the content, being steadfast in your belief in the content of what you believe, which is the Bible, the doctrine therein. To trust God and his word. Do we not have the letter of Peter here as part of that? Believe what I'm saying, Peter is saying. And this is what I've given you by the Holy Spirit as an apostle, writing this epistle to you, to instruct you. Stand fast in this instruction. That's what he's talking about. Insisting upon following Jesus in his word, even though you're persecuted for it. 
Now, the word here, we'll dig in here to resisting, and resisting what in particular of the devil? To set yourself against, to oppose, to stand firm against. To stand up against the works of Satan, I think is obvious. He's not saying, whenever you happen to see the devil down the street, flee. You're not going to see the devil. That's not what he's saying. It's shorthand for the works of the devil. All the things associated with the devil, because he's the father of lies. And so we are called to be alert against the works of the devil and the effort of the world, the flesh, and the devil being the head of all these things and to resist him and all his works. That's what he's saying here. So it's shorthand for all of these things. Anything contrary to the word of God, to goodness, and to truth, from evolution to gender confusion to false gospels and heresies, all of that is from the devil. And therefore you should what? Resist it. Say no. I will not bow my knee to these lies. I will not utter them. Because I know my brothers and sisters have also suffered and they are standing firm for God and I will stand firm with them. That's one of the reasons he gives here right in verse 9. But we know elsewhere in First Peter because you have a duty as a husband, as a wife, as a businessman, as a worker, as a citizen of society, to stand firm that the world may be embarrassed for persecuting you because you've done the right thing. The devil tells you it's not the right thing. It's one of his lies. And so, the things that we resist and how we resist them, you resist his lies, you resist the false practices. It's the opposite of what you're called to do. You're called to believe the right things, right doctrine, and to live the right life, right practice, right living. The devil has the wrong practice, wrong living, and the wrong beliefs, the wrong doctrines. So we're called to resist the lies, obviously. Resist the lies against nature that's popping up everywhere, as we know. I mentioned gender confusion, for example. So it's not this, he's saying, well, you know, if you can't find it explicitly in the Word of God, then eh, you don't have to resist the lies. There's lots of lies out there. Any lie. Lies against the scripture are obvious. Cults who pretend to be Christian, obviously are not. The worst, the worst kind of lies are those that are lies of those close to us, those who sound very much like us, but obviously take those words, words of the Bible, the words of life, and pour in new content. We call them heretics after we discover who they are. We're, don't, don't, we should not be naive. This is part of what it means to be vigilant and sober and serious-minded, that even in small churches, that the world thinks, oh, you guys must be really holy. No, there's still a danger of false teachers. Big, small, doesn't matter. Very faithful, somewhat faithful, doesn't matter. The Bible warns us against wolves disguising themselves as sheep, especially in the leadership, Acts 20, where Paul spends all that time urging the presbyters to be stand firm and protect the sheep. Those are some of the worst dangers and lies that the devil uses, his agents, his secret agents within the church of God. And we have to be aware and alert of those as best we can, of course. They talk smooth words, but have no sound doctrine. And and in particular, Satan has lies about sin. (laughs) In the church... I don't know how often, vast majority of the time, 
the lies that we have amongst each other, sometimes we lie amongst each other, unfortunately, as Christians, but a lie from the devil, is that that sin really isn't a sin. He's not going to dress it up and say, here it is, this is obviously wrong, go ahead and do it. Now, we see that in the world, obviously, the hard rebels and the like, they love to sin, they brag about it. But in the church, it's a little more subtle, isn't it? We have to be alert about that as well. That's why you have to know the law of God and know his word and how to apply it so that we can see a lie when it comes to us. It's a powerful tool of Satan to disguise and hide and camouflage the lies. And worse than that, what else does he do? He makes it palpable. He makes it tasty. He makes it look good. We should say no. Or as we say, he tries to put lipstick on a pig. The pig of wickedness is still a pig. And the best example of that for yourself, if you forget, for your youth, the young people have to remember this. Advertisement. That's an excellent example of them selling greed, selling lust, selling materialism by painting it up and making it look nice. Not only resisting lies and deceptions, to resist false practices and activities. Desecration of worship is a common temptation in our society. Other false practices, I've mentioned this before in the times past, that living together is fine. Church Members of churches, they've done polls. They're like, I'm a conservative, I'm evangelical, I go to these churches, but I think it's okay to live together before you're married. In the churches of God. That's a false practice. That's a lie. They've been deceived. They weren't alert, or their leadership wasn't alert. They have a more responsibility, especially, to instruct them in these matters if they've been lying about it. Uh, often, I think, what happens is the church leadership just turns a blind eye. Because it's very hard to resist the devil by disciplining church members. That's another way of resisting the devil, isn't it? Telling the devil and the sins of this world around us and within us, this is a serious matter. We're not going to put up with it. Because part of the punishment is not only for the good of the member, the discipline they're in, it's also good for the church to have an example, to bring fear upon them as you read in Acts. When they died there on the spot, lying against the Holy Spirit, bloop, it brought fear upon the body of Christ. So one way, and yet another way, of resisting is church discipline. Support churches, brothers and sisters, and one another to resist the temptation of this world, to resist the so-called conservatives. <laughs> the biggest example of that is Fox News you heard about recently, right? They've been going downhill in many ways, if you uh, are aware of that sometimes. Not always obvious. But when they pick up Jenner, was it Bruce? His name is Bruce. I dead-named him. Have you ever heard that phrase? Yeah, the, young, the youth have. That's why you need pastors to stay on top of the youth, because things have changed in cultures. Our, our culture is very much youth-oriented. I give him his old name. That's dead naming him. And that's serious bullying. You can get in trouble some places for doing that. Probably on, I don't know, social media, if I was in school. I'm not doing this properly. I'm just pointing out, this is where we are. This is the lie of the Satan. This is the way of resisting him. The temptation will come into the church. Be winsome. Don't dead name somebody. Can you, can't you see that the next step? No, brothers and sisters. I'm not calling a he a she and she a he. That's lying. Now, this is where we are. I can't believe I'm preaching this. <laughs> what the? And it's coming into the churches, unfortunately. And so Fox is a good example of that. They're just like, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. It used to take them 10 to 15 years before the conservatives became liberal. Now it's taking them five years, apparently. 
ways, other ways of resisting by particular practices, not, not, not just simply what you resist, the lies, and you resist the false practices. The ways you resist, of course, are obvious. You read the Bible. Uh, you hang out with Christians. You must have fellowship with righteousness and godliness. There's a lot of that in the Proverbs. Church, the means of grace, preaching. Flee, bad company. Even those who are half right. There's a lot of temptation. I've been tempted that way. Someone's half right, still half wrong. Especially when it comes to doctrine. That's especially important in the church. Brothers and sisters, we are called to be vigilant, to stay alert against the sin and temptation around us. To be vigilant, to push back against the works of the devil, to resist sin and temptation. We are in this together, as we are reminded here, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world, and we have the Spirit of God to preserve us and let us persevere in our resistance. Let us pray. We thank you, God, for these urging words that we need in this time and day. Christians always need it, Lord, for temptation can be very subtle in many ways. Help us, God, to stand firm, uh, to be alert against the devil, and to resist, Lord, the devil and his works around us, we pray. Amen. Let us stand and sing hymn 407, 407. of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.
Thank you.